Today's show is brought to you by Team Snap. Sign up for a free 21-day free trial at www.tryteamsnap.com slash holy backboard. Let's go! All right, everybody, welcome to the 76th edition of the Holy Backboard Podcast. I am Dustin here in Rip City, and I got my man. Sage, chilling. Man, I, yo, I had a disappointing dinner. The thing I'm most excited about for today was hanging out with you. We had a bad experience yesterday. So the best thing about today is hanging out with you. So I, I'm thankful for that. Likewise, and it's kind of funny that there's no Kevin Durant, there's no Sean Livingston. You get a little glimmer of hope that, shit, we might be able to pull this off, and this is the game we end up getting wrecked. We lose 110 to 81. I predicted we would get wrecked in game one, so I was a little surprised that game two was the game where we just completely failed to look like an NBA basketball team. This wasn't an effort. It wasn't an energy issue. Sage, we were just flat out sloppy in our decision making. And frankly, our shot selection was extremely lazy. Yeah, I, I will say the first half, I was proud of them. They got the, the Warriors got up to a big run and then we were able to withstand their punches and then go on the counterattack. And then I, that happened maybe like two times where we were able to just fight back with tough, tough, tough plays. And then in the second half, it was just like, oh, we don't have the horses for this again. What's so frustrating about playing the Warriors is we cut that lead to one. It was 16. You're right. It was looking, you know, like a lost cause. Everyone on Twitter was, you know, bitching and ranting and saying, you know, why the fuck are we in the playoffs? You know, worst day ever. And I was just like, calm down. One, we're not going to win this series. You need to come in without expectation. Two, this is still the best fucking team in the NBA with or without Kevin Durant. Yeah, they won a record number of games last year with that roster. I mean, and they have won a record number of games over the last three years. So this isn't like a flash in the pan team. Uh, they've been there and they've done that. They, they've won a championship. They've been to the finals. Uh, they know how to win in the playoffs. And, but also just give our guys a chance to get their, their feet under them. Um, nobody but Dame had it going in that first quarter, uh, but we clamped down on defense and we cut it to one. It was 43, 42 after Evan Turner hit a three and Sage, I swear to God, it was a bat of an eye and they had it to nine at halftime. And I was like, that's not too bad. But the, as soon as that second half started, they put it up five, six straight points. And I was like, yeah, this is probably it. You cannot, especially without a low post threat like Nurkic, realistically expect to come back down multiple times 16 point deficits to uh, a team as gifted as the Golden State Warriors it's just not feasible not sustainable and it's not what the Blazers it's not a recipe for success if you were looking for that upset in game two I mean we just don't have healthy bigs and that is just JaVale McGee went off JaVale McGee looked like a beast can we talk about how 
just goddamn sickening it was. The, the Game 2 was almost like a carbon copy of Game 2 last year when Festus was doing all of those dunks against us. Again, a backup big just went off on us. I mean, he was 7 of 7 from the field, had 23 points, or excuse me, 15 points, 5 boards, 4 blocks. And I felt like his points counted for so much more than that. They were just, he got them so easily. And they were just gut punches to us. Yep. That, that, so, but let, let's talk about backup bigs. When we need a, when we talk about who our third big, fourth big is, we need them to contribute in many different ways. With the Warriors, they just need JaVale to hustle. So when you have a team built around JaVale McGee, all he has to do is try hard and he looks good. That I mean, he played well, but that team was the reason he looked so good. Oh, of course. Oh, all and our, and our lack of bigs. Oh, of course. All he has to do is hang around the rim, and if you run a pick and roll, the big is going to help out on Steph Curry or you know Clay Thompson, and he's going to be the open. So it's, it's a pick your poison. Do you let Steph get a pretty decent look at the rim, or do you give up a lop dunk to JaVale? Uh, either scenario is probably two points for the Warriors, and it's something that the Blazers are going to have to identify in Game 3 if Nurkic can't go, because if I'm Steve Kerr, I keep continue to run those oh, sets until, until they find a way to stop it. On the flip side, I think it's on Terry Stotts if Nurkic can't go to really try something out of the box offensively. That high pick and roll has got to go. Golden State is not um, biting on anything. They do not feel threatened by Harkless or Aminu or Von Lake coming up to set those screens. And they are just just slamming down on Damon CJ. They are really trapping that ball handler, making life difficult. And I don't blame them. That's what the Clippers did last year. And, and it worked. We, I mean, we don't have the horses right now. If Nurk doesn't play to, to counter that. It, Aminu is great for an $8 million player. He's not going to win us this series. He's not good enough. He's not consistent enough. There might be a stretch where he hits, but you know that eventually it's going to normalize. Yeah, and I think if you're looking for a bright side, I thought defensively, outside of the pick-and-roll defense on JaVale, this was one of Portland's finer defensive games, and we talked about being proud of them coming down 16. It started on the defensive end. What happened in the third quarter is I counted six or seven straight times we got stops. It was a 12- or 13-point game. We stopped them every single time. We played really strong defense. The problem was we were going down on the other end of the floor and jacking up, you know, contested isolation jumpers, um, running the shot clock down, nothing inside the paint, just running really terrible isolation offense. And sooner or later, the Warriors are going to score. If you would have told me we held them to 110, you take that every single time against this Golden State team. So defensively, you you take that blueprint and see if you can replicate it. Um, it's just unfortunate we couldn't switch our offensive performances from game one and game two because I think we'd be heading home with a, a 1-1 split. Well, I, I, do you think that part of the lazy offense was because they exerted themselves so much on defense and there isn't a lot of bodies to sub out? You just think it's... I think Steve Kerr saw Damon CJ go off for 75 points and he is a coach that doesn't coach with pride and he said... 
I'm not going to leave my guys on an island trying to defend them. I'm going to send a double team and make others beat them. And that's exactly what he did. And I mean, like, that 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 snaps is smart. I don't... I, have you seen a move where the Warriors have made in the last three years where you're like, that's a fuck up? They've been pretty perfect for the last three years. So we're, we're, we're we have to deal with perfection for it, it's tough. You have to be perfect to get these wins. And I think at least we're in Portland now. That is a huge thing. Just being where the home fans, hopefully there'll be a shit ton of rowdy blazer fans just yelling their heads off and the role players will be able to, to play well. And you hit the nail on the head. We're at home. That traditionally means role players play above their head. They play more comfortable. They play in the rhythm. They're in their normal surroundings. They've got the fans behind them. Portland's going to need their role players. Mm. Uh, they're going to need Alan Crabb, who, again, shot abysmally 3 of 10. I felt like he rushed a ton of shots. He had a couple that didn't even hit the rim. I um, just went off the side of the backboard. Um, we're going to need Evan Turner to hit open threes. I know that's not his game, but he's going to get that shot just like Aminu did last playoffs. Uh, I There's just no other way around it. You're an NBA player. You're shooting most of them from the short corner. It, it's got to drop on a consistent basis. Uh, same with Mo Harkless, who, again, shot 1 of 5 from 3. He was 1 of 6 in game 1. That's 2 of 11. This is coming from a 35% shooter this year. Again, he has got to step up. And mostly uh, open shots. They, they have ha- all they have all been open shots, and that's what's so frustrating. Damon CJ cannot be counted on to score 75 points in every game throughout the series. And, of course, no amount of role-playing is going to give the Trailblazers a victory when your two superstar backcourt players combine to shoot 9 of, of 34. That That's not going to get it done. Uh, they, they definitely have to at least combine for 50 maybe even 55 60 but it was just almost like the perfect storm we had nobody really on the bench to 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 lean on us while dame and cj were cold uh dame tried to keep us afloat in that first quarter cj couldn't keep it going and it just like nothing really felt in rhythm for this team and that that's why i really think stats needs to work on different ways to getting them the basketball maybe it's evan turner initiating the offense at the point uh, seeing who they're going to put on him. Maybe it's putting Turner in the post and seeing if he can get something going. Just try to free Damon CJ up without the basketball so it doesn't give the Warriors a chance to send that double, send that trap. And if they do, the only way to negate that is if your other players hit open shots. And I was glad that Crab took 10 shots. Um, that's much better than the three to four he attempted in game one. I definitely think he is, you know, we'll get into this, but he he's the X factor. When we're at home and he hits, we're a tough team to beat. We saw him single-handedly carry us against the Timberwolves on TNT a few weeks ago where he went bananas, 8 of 9 from downtown. He was amazing in that Cavaliers victory um, during the snowstorm in January. Uh, he is our guy, and you know what you're going to get from Damon CJ. I would be very surprised if they were held in check like this. Um, it looked like one of those nights where just the shots weren't going. And, and that once- happens when you play yeah. that type of sp- basketball. That's going to happen. I remember vividly the New Orleans Pelicans beating the shit out of the Rockets, which is probably the worst matchup for the Pelicans. And it was just because the Houston Rockets weren't hitting. That stuff happens when you play the style of basketball these up-tempo s- skill ball teams play. 
And when you see, so if you're a role player and you see Dame struggling, that affects you. Then you see CJ struggling. All of a sudden, it's this domino effect where you feel like you're underwater and you can't come up for for breath because just the tide keeps coming in and just the miss after miss and you just get more and more deflated. Um, That's where the fans come in. So if you're coming to the game on Saturday, cheer your fucking ass off. There are going to be Warrior fans there. There are a lot of transplants. There are a lot of bandwagon fans here in the city. We've got to be loud. I mean, there, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Whether you think we're going to win the series or not, we're Trailblazer fans. We're, we're proud of being from Oregon, proud of being from Portland. You know, let's hold our own. Let's make it the most intimidating atmosphere in the entire NBA. Did you see all the uh, transplants from Portland in San Francisco cheering on their team at a bar? Like, I love that spirit of fandom. That I I never dealt with that in New Orleans with being a Hornets or Pelicans fan. Just seeing the camaraderie of fans to get to one place together and watch a sporting event, that's some dope shit. Cause I like even now as a Trailblazer fan, I've watched ninety nine percent of the games by myself. But to see fans go together and celebrate their team and be there for each other, that's that's dope. And I respect that a lot of that. I mean, and, Blazers what was doing their thing, too. So it, it was it was beautiful. There was a lot of Blazers love, even though the Blazers kind of got their shit tossed. There was still Blazers camaraderie. Exactly. And hopefully there's a game five for them to, you know, meet up in the Bay Area again, because I love that. And that's really what the Trailblazer fandom is all about. Like, we know our team hasn't really been that good for a long time. We haven't made the the finals in, what, 20, fucking 25 years. Um, But we're still diehard. We still rep our team through thick and thin. Um, So I think it would be nice if we could get just a victory. Like, definitely, let's not get swept. Prefer to win game three. You don't want to get that that pity victory in game four, even though I would take it in a hot second. Absolutely, you can't not take that shit. But I want to go, I want to win game three and go into game four with hope that, fuck you we could force this to six at least if we win you know game four um so that's why game three is so important we saw teams tonight we saw memphis just come out and set the tone their coach set the tone for them with that with that rant that he got fined thirty thousand dollars for but he did it to light a fire under the ass of his team and they responded um you look at milwaukee who took a commanding 2-1 lead with um an amazing victory, just destroying the Raptors. And they were terrible this year at home, 23 and 18. It was tied for the worst mark of any home record for any of the 16 teams this year. And you saw the Pacers. Um, They weren't able to sustain it, but they jumped out all over the Cavs, 25 points, but they didn't finish the job. You, It's a full 48 minutes, and especially against the Warriors, you cannot let up. So, I expect a very competitive game three. I think there's going to be a lot of adrenaline in the building. There there always is. It, it doesn't matter if it's David versus Goliath. There's something about playoff basketball in the Rose City that just brings out just the best in the fans. Like they, they get there early. We chant, let's go Blazers, while they're introducing the opposing team. Uh, standing, everyone's in the same color. There's just something about it. Um, You can't explain it, but you just know what it is when you feel it. And that's why when we did make the playoffs, 
I did get excited. You know, I was going to buy the tickets. I was going to go. I haven't missed a home playoff game since I moved up to Portland in 2007. And I, Above all else, I am there so a Golden State fan doesn't take my seat. Like I feel like that is my duty as a fan to rep my team. Man, yeah, it, it, it's crazy. I, I the fandom in Portland is and Oregon itself is fucking crazy. I just I I like being a part of something that isn't acting all superior on Twitter because you know the ins and outs of your team, but it's just like, as a whole, we we ride or die with the, with, with our squad. And that's exactly it. We, we ride and we die with them. So what one of my coworkers asked me today is like, so how long did you watch that game last night? I was like, full 48. And he's like, of course, I'm not surprised. And I told him, it's like, I'm all in. And what I tell myself while I'm watching these games, while we're getting just the shit kicked out of us, is I, I watch the terrible moments. So when something great happens, like Lillard's point nine shot, or God forbid we make the conference finals, the NBA finals, maybe one day we win the fucking championship. That is going to mean so much more to me than so many other people. And it's going to mean so much more to all of the diehards that stuck with the team that have seen that Kobe to Shaq alley-oop in game seven, that have seen the Jordan shrug, that have seen all of the bullshit that the Blazers have gone through over the years, you know, the Greg Oden injury, you know, drafting Bowie over Jordan, every fucking thing. It, it's gonna make it all worth it. And that, that's why I stick through it all. Because one day, just like you look at all the Cub fans, like they waited 100 years, but you can't tell me that that didn't mean more to that Cub fan than, you know, the Patriots winning their fifth championship or, you know. Well, I mean, just from my experience alone as a Saints fan, I've been a Saints fan my entire life. I have radio shows in Portland to prove it. (laughs) But when when we got Drew Brees, it was a different feeling because we didn't have an inept quarterback. I mean, Aaron Brooks was the Saints' best quarterback ever for a long time. So... To be to see the process of building a championship team with an elite quarterback, an elite coach, someone that has a vision for your team's success, and then that that success actually coming to fruition, I I get I get teary eyed thinking about it today. In two thousand nine, two thousand ten, when that championship happened, when Tracy Porter got that interception. I don't think I've had a better moment in my life. So if this comes to fruition, and winning championship is hard, harder in basketball than it is in football. But if that ever comes to fruition, every bad moment, every shitty 40 point loss, it all is worth it. So watch the bad times because it makes the good times so much brighter. And, you know, speaking of winning in the NBA is so much more difficult. You are 100% right because one player can really change the outcome of a game because there's only 10 players on the court. And I think I was doing the math the other day. And since 84, I think only 11 franchises have won a title. Yeah, that shit's difficult, man. We got one. I mean, that's so freaking hard. And so when you put it in that context, 
thinking of every season as a failure just because you don't win the championship, you're going to be an unhappy fan. So while it's great to have that goal of always wanting a championship, I'm definitely there. Enjoy the ride while it's while it's there. Last season, people may think, oh, God, you know, 43 wins. That's nothing. We beat a depleted Clippers team and lost in five to the Warriors. That was one of the funnest seasons I've been a part of. And the, we were there to document every step of the way. It made it much more fun. But it, you just got to you gotta ride with them. You got to experience it. I mean, I will admit wholeheartedly, I talked to Big John and some other people about Gangstar that, that in the third and fourth quarter. But I still watched. I mean, I know what happened. But just this is all going to be worth it once we raise the... Larry O'Brien trophy? Is it the Larry O'Brien trophy? It is the Larry O'Brien trophy. I, I, I mean, as a Blazer Pelican fan, I really don't need to know what that is. So Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and that's totally true because I look at the early 90s Blazers. It's all around my apartment. It's what made me the fan that I am today. It's my favorite collection of individuals coming together as a team of all time. They never won the title. They made it to two finals in three years, set the franchise record for wins the other year. Would it have been nice if they wanted to? Yes, of course, of course. But my love for them doesn't mm-hmm. I mean, just go away. Those, those memories they gave, they're who they, – they kind of shaped me. They craft me. you. They craft yeah. you. Absolutely. So I just I, – while I want to win a championship, like I just saw so much talk on Twitter last night that, oh, my God, we're never going to win a title. Like we don't have a lottery pick this year. It's like deep breath, calm down. This is a process, a very long one. But if you're only focused on a championship, like that's fine if you have those aspirations and expectations coming into the season. If you're one of a handful of teams, Portland was not there. No, We're not going to be there. So just enjoy the season for what it is. If we take one or two from the Warriors, fuck yeah. So, I mean, in the beginning of the season, we were very positive on the team. They were They made continuity moves. They looked like they were trending upward. Yeah. But once, you know, we played shitty, I think the ownership and Neil and all of those people adjusted expectations. I don't think we as fans did. I mean, so once that, like, when they got Nurk, it was like, we could actually make some noise in the playoffs. So that was the goal. It wasn't a championship because that's an, a bad, I mean, that that is an unreasonable expectation for that team to win a championship. Honestly. What was your favorite moment of the 90 Blazer team? Because talking, rehashing that game isn't really as entertaining as talking about the good times that you've witnessed as a Blazer fan. So what is your favorite, the crowning moment of any uh, Blazer team that you've seen? What is the, the thing that gets you the most proud? I mean, it's so hard to pick a moment from the early 90 Blazer teams, especially because I was between five and seven. So I, I only have a few memories of watching them live. I have so many of the highlight tapes that I'll watch. I'll go to YouTube. I'll watch a lot of the old games. I mean, and I, I think just, fans should really do that. Educate, educate yourself on the past. Like Bill I Walton mean, was the baddest motherfucker in the world for two years. Mo Lucas was the man you don't fuck with. He fuck he punched Daryl Dawkins and took him out of the the the, the element of being in the playoffs. So. Yeah, but sorry to interrupt. No, no. Uh, I would say there's a few. Obviously, you've got Kevin Duckworth coming out of the tunnel after breaking his hand in Game 7 
getting that standing ovation against the Spurs in the conference semis, just that whole run where those games against the Spurs, the home team won each one, and it goes down to the last two minutes of game seven, and you win that. Um, Nobody gave us any chance at knocking off the Suns in six because, again, we had played so poorly in Phoenix, but we won that game six to go to the finals. You look at that 91 season, we had so many comeback wins during that regular season, the twenty back-to-back 20-point wins. Once in the Tacoma Dome against the Sonics, the following night in Los Angeles against the Lakers. I mean, you've got the 92 Blazers where I still remember Drexler dunking over Billy Cartwright in game two. Uh, that was a huge win. He goes out. Like Drexler fouls out in the fourth quarter, and we still rebound to win that game in overtime. Uh, the game six just... Dismantling, not dismantling, the game six, just huge victory in Utah in the Delta Center. Like that is one of the most difficult places for Portland to play historically. And they close it out. They go to their second finals in three years. Um, and just just the the plays. I remember from watching these videos, I believe it was a game five against the Jazz in that series in 92. And Kersey had a play where he just got the ball on the break. Drexler outletted to him. He finished it strong with one hand. Literally three plays later, he does it again. And you've got the announcer just like, Kersey again. Ooh. And it just like, whenever I hear that, I just get chills. Um, the perfect quarter against the Spurs in 91, where we go up like 48 to 16. And they were the defending division champs. Um, but those are just so many memories that, that are ingrained. And I, I could honestly have a podcast and just go on and on. So what but is the most memorable thing you've, you've witnessed and don't be wit- shitty. Cause there's one. No, that I that's, that's not, no, <laughs> no offense to Ryan Anderson. But that's not even close. <laughs> it the was a huge impact on me. <laughs> the most memorable I have witnessed Dame's point nine shot. I was working for the team at the time I was sitting in press row you're not supposed to cheer on press row. I was sitting next to actually Dane Carbaugh, former former guest of the show, and Sarah Hecht, who also did Trailblazers TV. I just remember the emotion of that game, knowing that we had took the first two in Houston. Troy Daniels just hit that dagger in game three to, to really bring that series back, back into to shape for the Rockets. Mo Williams... In game four, somehow on a broken play, hitting that go-ahead three, they handled business in game five. So it's a 3-2 Blazer series. We had not been out of the first round in 14 years. So this is just 14 years stored up, just angst of emotion, of energy, of just wanting to triumph for, for once in the first round. And we were leading. They made a bad call. They said Dame had gone. Uh, they had not reestablished position and bounds. It allowed a timeout. Chandler Parsons comes out of nowhere. I still think he pushed Robin Lopez in the back. Wasn't called. Whatever. And laid it in. There's .9 left. You know, we think, shit, we're going to go down to Houston. We're going to lose game seven. And, of course, the Blazers are going to win the first two on the road and blow the series. All of a sudden, you see Dame streaking across that three-point arc. And as soon as he shot it, it's almost like everything slowed down, like watching it in person. And you're like, Oh fuck, oh fuck, oh fuck. This looks like this could go like it looks good. It and it, it just splash. It's wet. And for a minute you, you don't know what happened and all of a sudden like us, us three all jumped up and like hugged each other. Um like throw professionalism out of the door. That's the biggest shot in franchise history. I'm one of the biggest fans, you know, there are you know that. I am going to get excited. The crowd stayed forever. 
Um, I remember just working my ass off that entire week and just storing up content, watching all of the reactions from all of the other fans uh, across the world, even the Rocket fans just on YouTube and compiling those and just seeing what that moment meant to everybody. Um, there's just, there just won't be a moment like it. I mean, I didn't, it was almost identical to what Brandon did. And I was in the building when he did that to Houston in the regular season, but for it to be a walk-off playoff series, clinching shot at home to put us into the next round for the first time in 14 years, you couldn't have scripted it any better. And if it wasn't a movie, you'd probably just call it fake. I mean, like that, that's unrealistic, but and this was Dame's rookie year. No, it was second. He was a sophomore, yeah. Oh man! I, so this first, is first year in the playoffs. This yeah, thirteen, fourteen. Okay. Oh, okay. JJ was twenty twelve. Um, but yeah, I remember. I really wasn't fucking with the Blazers that heavy, but when that shot came, I remember watching that, and I was like, "Holy shit! Holy shit! Holy shit! Holy shit!" And I remember, I was. I, eh. That was at a time where I was not as wise as I am today. I really didn't care about who won that series. But when he made that shot, I was like, we're witnessing a very special player do something very special in that moment. So, yeah, man. I still get chills when I watch the highlight and I get Mike Tirico, Mike Tirico's broadcast call. You know, just like, Lillard good, Lillard good. And just just chills. Like, it is an iconic call and then him it, yelling rip city and that yeah and that just like that's the fucking cherry on top of the sunday it's like i was so lost in the madness you know i was tweeting i was instagramming like just doing everything trying to you know update the website and all of a sudden look up and dame's coming he's on the jumbotron and just gets the mic and says rip city i mean that doesn't happen i mean th- so that is um my most memorable moment that I've seen live in. Obviously, I was much older. I have a better memory now. Um, you were actually only, there, though. That I mean, like, I was actually there. Like to be a part of that and just to, and then you know we 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 the Blazers made a a few videos, especially not only of the highlights, but we had camera guys on, on the floor, and you just see the players like they don't know what to do like they're just so excited they're they're hugging each other i mean you see people in the front row they're just like have tears in their face and just like can tell like this this to us was almost like a championship victory i mean i know that's probably small time to say but you know portland is portland we're we're not a large market and for a long time we hadn't had a lot of success so that shot meant more to us than it probably did to 90, 95% of the franchises in today's NBA. Mm-hmm. I think this was better than talking about that that last game. <laughs> but that's that's why you go to the game. That's why I go to the games. I know not everybody has the luxury of either affording tickets or living close enough to to the arena to go or they have other you know prior commitments, but that's why I just encourage everyone, if you can find your way to get a ticket, I've, apparently the, the market for Game 4 is extremely, extremely low um, in price. Uh, the tickets were already pretty reasonable. I think I paid $28, $28 per seat to get my regular 300-level seats. Um, find a way. Go to the arena. You never know what you're going to experience. I, I don't think I've been to a playoff game and regretted that I went. I mean, there, there have been some heartbreaks 
Um, definitely that game one against Houston in 09, first year we made the playoffs in six years, we had home court advantage, we get wrecked by 30. However, I'll trade that for being able to see Brandon Roy in uh, the following year return eight days after surgery to like the Superman theme music just coming out of nowhere. I mean, this was almost per- before Twitter. Um, all of a sudden, like, holy shit, Brandon's going to play? Like, what, what, what leads us to victory? The following year, that game four, he erased a 24-point deficit. People talk about this Cavs victory. Okay, cool. We were down 24 basically going into the fourth quarter. And that four-point play he, he, he hit, um, it was really a cap to a very you know nice career for Brandon. It was like his one, like his, his last shining moment as a Blazer. And it was just amazing to be in there for that game. Like, I still remember just cheering in camp. Just you couldn't believe what just happened. Like, again, there are just so, so many memories. And I hope we can make some more memories good memories this weekend because you know i'm stoked it's saturday it's a 7 30 start there's no excuse for the for the garden not to be rocking how do we use the crowd to our advantage the comfort the our role players being comfortable how do we use that to our advantage in game three you have to play with no fear like you have to play like this is your last game if you lose you're going home you have to play with a certain amount of pride that we're not going to get swept. You have to play desperate. And I don't think we played desperate enough in game two. I thought game one, we showed showed a bit of it. But in the reason it, it's tough and it's easy to say desperate now, because when you play desperate, I'm talking about Della Vadova guarding Steph Curry two years ago in the finals having to literally go to the hospital afterwards because he was just so exhausted. That's not sustainable to play desperate for a whole series. But when you're playing a super team like the Warriors and you've already lost two games and you don't know if your your big's going to be back, I think now is a proper time to 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 raise that, that desperate alarm. I want to see that. I want to see guys diving for the loose ball, scrapping, um, help side blocks, um, I thought our defense again was really strong in game two. I want to continue to see the switching. I do think we need to be a little bit more intelligent and smart and realize that if Durant's not in the game, they're going to cut, they're going to slash, they're going to move without the basketball. That's why I think they're almost a more difficult team to play against without Durant because they play so unselfishly. They have such good passers and they're threading the needle and it makes it so much difficult uh, so much more difficult to defend, especially when you're giving Clay and Steph uh, more shots. And I think they are better pure shooters in, uh, than Durant. Durant's mostly going to go ISO. Again, Durant's a former MVP, future Hall of Famer, first ballot. But at the same time, without him, they just provide like last year's Warriors to me scared me more than this year's Warriors, if that makes any sense. I felt like they were more well-rounded. They had the beef inside with Bogut. Um, they had better, they had depth. Um, they just felt like they were a stronger team. I mean, I still think they're just as strong, if not better, just, just personally. Um, I felt that way either way. It's going to be a tall task with or without Durant. And I think Portland just needs to go and they really need to get the crowd into it right away. I think if there is a game 
where they need a fast start, it's this one. Of course, they're going to have to sustain it, but you've got to get the crowd on your side because, one, they're already chomping at the bit. We're, we're ready to go. Just give us a reason to just ignite. And I think that's all it's going to take. I think what Portland really has to do is they have to find a way to force turnovers and get out on the break because not only do transition threes, transition dunks ignite the crowd, but it gets our team going too, and it's an easy opportunity. We saw the Warriors really clamp down. They showed their defensive prowess against the Blazers in Game 2 in a half-court setting without Nurkic. We don't want to play 80-85% of the game in the half-court. We need to get up and down, and it starts with stops. It's either turnovers or stops and get the ball and go. Um, don't let the Warriors set their defense. It's almost like when we played Memphis two years ago. You cannot let them set their defense because it's going to it's gonna be a long night if that's how the game's going to play out because we know in a half-court setting, back and forth, we cannot keep up with the Warriors. They are too good. I think one thing to add to that is no extended dry streaks. I think yeah, a game 100%. two, that, that was a huge thing. We played good defense and then just couldn't convert on the offensive end. I think... It, we have to limit those times when Golden State just goes on a run where we can't answer. Because if we can't answer, it's going to be a long night. So we have to just make timely buckets, show that we're not scared of the mighty Golden State Warriors. We gotta attack, get to the get to the paint. Because who's going to stop them? Draymond and, or KD isn't scaring me like what Bogut did last year. So if if we can get to the lane and make some things happen go to the free throw line but just no extended five minute droughts that was a killer and so to your point i completely agree i think portland needs to quiet their role players we're doing such a good job on steph and clay uh they they each shot under 50 percent clay was held to six of 12 uh six of 17 from the field three of eight from downtown steph six of 18 from the field just four of 12 from downtown so we did an amazing job they only shot six combined free throws it, it it wasn't those two that really ignited the warriors it was guys like you know patrick mccaw getting really timely and ones uh he had a big three as well you've got mcgee who shot 100 from the field uh david west was three for five uh ian clark again 13 points on four of 11 shooting Portland has to win the bench battle. I cannot stress this enough, especially at home, because Steph and Clay had like just like that in the bat of an eye, they can go off on like three to four to five consecutive mm-hmm. straight buckets. But to be in the game, you can't let David West go to work down low. You can't let McGee catch lobs and you have to put a hand up on Ian Clark. Um, it's almost unfair, the embarrassment of riches that they have on offense, but yeah, we talk about the depth, the, the lack of depth from last year to this year. They still have a two-time, maybe three, I don't know, two-time in my heart all-star and David West being the the third big. Ian Clark, who I think is a very good MLE candidate getting, like, spot minutes. They have an embarrassment of riches. I mean, they they find the talent that need, they that, that fits that scheme and they can do the certain things, like try hard on defense like JaVale so our role players are highly paid skillful players and they have to actually show it tomorrow or Saturday whenever you're listening what did you think about Myers Leonard going in 
for 22 seconds. I think and that's getting- bullshit because I think he could actually defend JaVale McGee because he actually has length. I think yeah. Myers Leonard in, those pick and rolls probably don't happen. And if they do, Myers is probably going to foul the shit out of him. Or that's what I would do if I was Myers. It just, yeah, it feels unfair. I mean, he's I know- getting blasted so hard right now. He, yeah, they need, we need Myers to play well. It is, yeah. a, we don't have other bigs. Alfred Camino is a fine small ball four, but playing him at the five a lot isn't really a good thing. He rebounds well for a four, he doesn't rebound well for a five. We need Myers Leonard to actually play and be. I don't really care if he scores, but just be there. We need some beef. We only have him as a big. So he we need confident Myers. We need Myers who's going to dunk on somebody who's not going to hesitate to shoot the three. His confidence is absolutely shot right now. And I know we're all frustrated. I know a lot of people want him traded. Can't believe we signed him to a, a four-year, $40 billion contract. The fact of the matter remains, booing him or groaning, Every time he touches the ball or misses a shot is not going to help. I I don't know how much more crystal clear we can make this, but he needs encouragement, obviously. Um, the fact I don't that ne- I am saying we need Myers is pretty insane because I also talk mad shit on a public podcast about Myers Leonard. But this time we need his beef. We need his hype. We need his rebounding. He needs to be really intense, just stopping JaVale McGee, stopping dribble penetration because the Warriors love doing that. So we need him to play and actually be confident with it. Like, when we booed him, I was kind of like, that's not cool. No. We need him to play and play well. Don't boo him. Boo Neil O'Shea if you want to boo anybody who signed him to the contract. And, and let's let's be real. It is it's it's an overpay because of what he's giving us right now. It doesn't kill us. People no. saying that it kills us is it's wrong. It's like eight percent of the cap. That's fine. It's a little bit more than the MLE. That's fine. That's not going to kill us. He's overpaid, but it's not a, a, a way that. It's going to kill our future flexibility. Our future flexibility is gone because of other signings along with it. It's not just because of Myers. And it's me saying that. I I dislike him, watching him play basketball a lot. But we need I, him tonight, or whenever you listen to it. We need him game three. And I think that's where some fans just get too caught up in the financials. They're like, oh, we, we've got to trade you know, our draft picks and offload Crab and Turner and Leonard and you know, get out of the luxury tax. One, we're in it. You're completely right. We just had to extend our superstars, Dame and CJ, in this new CBA where it really, really ballooned their salaries. Two, we got hit hard during last year's free agency when the salary cap just boomed and we had three restricted free agents and we had cap space. We had to take advantage of that cap space because we were never going to get it back. Um, And then... You know, three, Paul fucking Allen, he'll pay for a he'll pay winner. The repeaters. He'll, he will pay the repeater's tax. So we don't have to really worry about that. I, I don't like seeing the Myers getting 10 mil. That, that's not 10 mil. That's like a $6 million contract now. 
Stop also, use, stop using that old terms for money in the NBA because that's not the case. Look at the percentage of the cap. If you think eh, Myers percent, Leonard's getting paid seven percent of the cap, that's not killing us. You look at some of the other players on the team or other players on other teams. I mean, I love Kent Bazemore because he smiles a lot, but him getting paid twenty percent of the Hawks cap that seems a little insane. Not not some guy who's eight percent of the cap. That's Again, I don't like watching him play, but it's not killing us. Also, let's just take a deep breath and realize that we have the richest owner in professional basketball. And these aren't six and seven year deals like they used to be. This is a four year deal. We're in year one. There's only three years left of Turner and Crab, you know, Harkless and, and Leonard, whichever contract you don't like. Three years is nothing. Like, let's not throw away valuable, you know, cap friendly contracts and draft picks just to just to get rid of one of our contracts Let, let's not make the situation worse uh let's not be so short-sighted uh we're, we're in this let's just finish it and if we really hate if everybody in the blazers locker room hates myers leonard the deal hates myers leonard guess what we can do we have the stretch provision that means we pay him two extra years and it's like three million dollars on our cap that is literally nothing so he is not someone that it's unmovable. Omer Ashik is unmovable. He isn't. There's a huge difference in salary. And I, honestly, I like Myers Leonard more as a player than Omer Ashik. It's not the worst contract in sports. Carmelo Anthony, Omer, those are the worst. Myers isn't that Chandler bad. Parsons. Chandler Parsons has a worse PER than Myers Leonard. It's crazy that we go from reliving the greatness of the 90s era, the 2013 era, and just... I am pumped up talking about how Myers Leonard isn't the worst deal on earth. No, I, I just hate seeing, and the Blazer fans are notorious this, every year there's a fucking scapegoat. It's like, chill. Just because things are going bad doesn't mean we have to find somebody to blame. Like, let's not make him the whipping boy every fucking night. And have I been disappointed with Myers? Absolutely. Is he disappointed in himself? Absolutely. But continuously picking on him, does not make the situation better. He is not the reason we were 41 and 41 this year. He's not the reason we're down 0-2. It, it takes a lot of things for all of those to come together, and I just wish people would use some common sense. It's a lazy person's way of scapegoating. And it's it is. It is. But Sage, I mean, let's the get... unmotivatedness of how we played for most of the years, probably why we're oh, the eighth seed. Not playing well, you know, not getting easy baskets, not running a pick and roll probably why we aren't as good as we hoped all right sage i think let's 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 take a quick commercial yeah, break let's, let's take a break so uh, from, I think from, from our from our sponsors and we'll, are riding high right now then we'll get back into game three for you the listeners of the holy backboard podcast team snap is offering a free 21 day trial team snap is every coach and parents dream an easy to use indispensable tool for organizing and communicating every aspect of team life sign up for a free 21 day trial in 30 seconds or subscribe to a premium package with added features like unlimited photos and file storage and customization unique to their team team step also provides a free android and iphone app so teams can be managed on the go all right everybody welcome back to the holy backboard podcast dustin and sage here previewing game three of the 2017 western conference first round 
against the Golden State Warriors. Your Trailblazers head back home down 0-2, looking to, I would say, find a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel if they were able to pull out a Game 3 victory. Let's switch it up a bit, Sage. Let's go to a fan question we got on Twitter from Dwayne Peterson. I'm going to send it to you first. It's a two-parter, so get ready. One, should Nurk play if he's cleared? Two, how much better do you expect Crab, Aminu, Turner, Von Ley, essentially all of the role players you mentioned earlier in this podcast, to play as they are back in the friendly confines of their home arena? So if Nurk is 100% and there's not a chance that this is going to be a a an injury that sticks with him i'm cool with playing him but i want those conditions to be part of it he's had a lot of leg injuries in his short career i'd say i think a third of his games i get i you guys know i suck at math a big portion of his career has been lost to lower leg injuries so if there's less of a chance that he will get hurt permanently or long term sure play him uh, I think the role players will play better. I mean, like, you're in your own bed. You have a routine that you keep. The gym is, you're, it's a friendlier gym. You know how the baskets work. It, it's so many things. The crowd loves you. They are all going to play better. I mean, <laughs> Of those role players, who has the best night on Saturday, Sage? Hmm. Crab. I'm going crab. I mean, we need his shooting, so he has the ability to spot up. He can dribble once and shoot. He has a more arsenal in his... He has more arrows in his quiver than the other players, so I think AC is that dude. What about you? Yeah, I was definitely going to say Alan Crabb. I think with Nurkic out, I think he's our third best player. Um, I think it's a toss-up, maybe between him and Harkless. Harkless yeah, is probably- I, I would go Harkless, but but AC just has shoot. that ability to it get is. 25 if, if he needs to. And I think you, you need Allen to play that well because you have to outscore the Warriors to beat them. And I know that's, you know, Captain Obvious, but it's true. You have to just continue to score and score and score and hope you get a defensive stop here and there. You're not going to grit and grind this shit out with, with that opponent. We need AC. I think the team feeds off of his threes. The fans feed off of his threes. He feels like he's due. I know he started out really slow first uh, in the first two games of last year's series against the the Clippers and then he charted on uh, throughout the Golden State series so hopefully he's got those two you know clean slate let's go AC like I want to get the crab crab claw pinchers going we definitely need him but yes I think all of the role players should play play better and I think Von Ley is one we'll see more from I feel like he plays more comfortable at home um, I think this is his first playoff experience. He really didn't play last year, so he's still got a little bit of jitters. I would like to see us dribble penetrate, maybe get get a wrap around Noah for you know a nice dunk. Um, maybe a pick and pop because he has shown the ability to hit that jumper, and it's one way to soften up the defense a bit. Um, but I could see all of those guys having good games. Aminu had a really nice game in game two. He had a couple of threes, took the ball to the rack, Man, played I- under control. Played under assist. control. Yeah, if he can do that again, that would be amazing. Um, and we spoke about it. Turner must hit corner threes. He's going to get those shots. So in a nutshell, they all have to play well. I expect Crab to, to play the best. To answer the first part of the question, of course Nurkic should play if he's cleared. Um, I don't care if we lost by 35 points in both of those first two games. 
this is his first playoff experience as well. And if he is 100%, you play him. I mean, that that's just the bottom line. And of course, but we if all... it's any less than that, I'm not risking a dude that has a history of leg issues. And this team, the, like the, 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 the narrative on Blazers big man is so shitty. I don't want to add him to it. So if he is not 100, we're not playing him. Yep. Uh, as we preview game three, what does your gut say? Does, does Nurk return? There's two th- schools of thought on this. It's we we got our ass beat, so let's try something new. Let's try to throw something in. I I mean I don't. I wish I, we had inside information. I'm leaning towards no. I just I just want the the the. I just want to be careful with our prized big man. So unless he's 100, no, I don't I don't I don't think he's gonna play. What about you? I'm kind of leaning towards yes, and I, I felt like this was the return date all along. Um, not only will this be, I think, 23, 24 days since since he injured it, maybe maybe longer, but the way the series started, we got that extra day to Sunday. We've had two days off in between um, games one and games two and games two and games three. It gives him that that full extra week. I mean, he he's walking around right now. I don't think he has any sort of, of crutch or a cast. Um, he has been doing light workouts. I just think this has been the plan all along to let him return for game three. Um, of course, if he's healthy, but that's just where I'm feeling right now. If if, if he doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. But man, that crowd's going to go nuts. And I think if, if, if he plays, I, I think Portland wins just based on pure emotion alone. I Oh, and the... There are some games, and I, I I can't think of any parallels in basketball right now, so I'm just going to do another Saints reference. When the Superdome opened versus Atlanta, there was no way Atlanta was winning that game. I think if Nurk returns and it's 100% health, the crowd is just going to feed off it so much that just, there's no what? way that... It was just like that Brandon game I was talking about in 2010, Game Four against the Suns, wasn't announced until they took out the warmups, and you just saw him, and the crowd erupted. There's very few times I felt that way at a game at, at the Garden, and I just knew I was like, we were down two one at the time. I was like, we're gonna win this game, and sure enough, we won the game. He didn't play super great, but. Just, just the that, fact em- that he's there the emotional fighting. lift. Exactly. And again, that's not sustainable to win a series. We bowed out in six, but it was enough to get it done on that night. Mm-hmm. And again, if he's 100%, you play him because I think you owe it to not only the team because they played 82 games and they're here. You owe it to the fans and you just you owe it to everybody involved. Um, if he's 100%, you play him. Let's see what he can do. Do you go full like full minutes or do you ease him in? I think he probably plays like 28 30 minutes. But still having a big having just... a big, yes, getting him his first ever playoff action, seeing what he can do against the best team in the NBA. Um seeing just the emotional lift it would provide not only the fans but the players. I mean, I know Noah Vonley plays so much better when Nurkic is on the floor next to him. It's that safety net Noah feels when Nurk is there. So 
that pick and roll with Damon CJ and, and the big fella. Pick your poison. Like, are you going to trap the defender or trap the ball handler and just he's going to dump it over the top to Nurk? Nurk's also a capable passer if that help side defender comes over and you're looking at a wide open three, hopefully from Harkless, Crab, or CJ. Or do you let Dame go one-on-one off of the pick and roll? And he know he's going to get buckets on that Warriors defense. It adds so much. To it is the... so much of a different look. Mm. and That's why that... I said he might have been the most valuable player on this team. I, I think there's some validity to that. I mean, I think you can make a case for probably CJ two... and Dame have the same similar skill sets. No one has that skill set that Nurk has. I mean, we we try and manufacture some of the stuff with, you know, starting Evan Turner in the in the starting lineup, but like nothing replaces a three hundred pound big dude that has post moves, can pass out of the post, and run a pick and roll, and has some swagger. The assholeness we talked about it with Tara. We don't have an asshole on the team if Nurk's not there. I and I mean, I I think Evan Turner, I. I I think he's a old-fashioned weirdo. I don't think of him as an asshole. An old-fashioned weirdo is in the nicest way possible. <laughs> With that said, who is your X Factor for Game Three on both ends? So you got to pick your Warrior and your Blazer. So who are your X Factors? If Nurk's there, it's Nurk. I mean, if it's not, Alan Crab. On the other side, can we stop my guy Ian Clark? I mean, that's what we said last time, and that that didn't do anything. Well, uh, it was, now it's me saying it, and I like him. <laughs> I think the X factor on the Warriors is going to be Clay Thompson, and I know it's tough to pick He's an X factor. Sloppy. Yeah, exa- I know it's tough to say um, a multiple-time All Star and one of the best shooters in, in the NBA is an X factor, but he is um especially if kevin durant can't go but even if kevin durant can last year when steph was hurt it was clay that carried that team to the 4-1 series victory we've seen him score 60 points in 29 minutes this season he scored 37 points in a quarter a couple of years ago against the kings he is lethal we i mean i think you expect it from steph but it feels like clay always saves his best games for games in portland so I think well, that is going to be from there. He's from here. His dad was a former trailblazer. Um, I think he grew up in Lake Oswego for some time. Um, so watch Clay Thompson, especially early on. If he gets it going, that's going to be very difficult for Portland to stop because he might have a 40 point night in him. And then you've got the rest of the other eight or nine warriors to deal with. So let's keep Thompson in check because he always plays well in, in Portland. Um, on the Blazer side of things, whew, I mean, Crab is, is obviously a, a good one, but I think it comes down to Damon CJ. I mean, I think the role players are going to do what they have to do, but we need, and it, it's kind of shitty to ask for, but we might need like a 51 point night. I mean, that's what it, it 50, one of the dudes is going to have to go for 40 again. Dame got 51 in that regular season victory um, a couple years ago. And I think he scored 40 in that game three victory last year. Um, I know CJ got 41 in game one, but that was without the role player showing up. So it's kind of a cop out answer, but it's going to take Damon CJ exploding. And you're going to just need a little bit more from guys here and here and there. But 
we're definitely going to need to lean on the superstars to get the victory um, on Saturday night. Question about Clay. I don't think of him as a playmaker at all. I know he has the ability to pass and stuff, but he's just a super catch and shoot guy. I I see people thinking he can like run an offense, but it's really just he's going to be the most deadly catch and shoot guy, not the 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 playmaking creative CJ McCollum type. He's he has his role and he's very He's more very good. He's, he's more Ray Allen than. Yeah, like he's like Wes Matthews on steroids. He's not he's not this creative Steph Curry's a great playmaker. Clay really is just a sharpshooter that is one of the best ever, but like he's just that. He's not this cannot give him space. You have to get yeah. up on him. But uh, if he's if if like the Warriors are ha- hoping that he can make plays for others, I just don't see it. But I'm I'm sure that the Warriors already know that because they're a very intelligent team. All right, we've been leading up to this. Warriors up 2-0. Game 3 in Portland Saturday night at 7.30. Who you got? If Nurk plays, I think we win. If he doesn't, I think we lose. But it's very close. I am calling my shot. I have a feeling Dame and CJ, they aren't going to go out without a fight. Um... I hope Nurkic plays, and if he does play, I definitely see the victory. If he doesn't, it, it's going to be obviously much more difficult. But for all of the factors that we've mentioned, the role players stepping up, the crowd, you know, Damon CJ are, are no slouch compared to to Clay and Steph. They have the ability to go off just as well as those two. I think they're disappointed in themselves with that subpar outing in Game Two. I mean, I just I've seen the dude score 59 points in like nothing. Um, I'm not saying he's going to score 59 again, but I just have a feeling those guys are going to be ready to ball. They don't want to get swept. I, I just a gut feeling. I think the Blazers get it done. You've seen teams so come out regardless of Nurk. You say this yes. is a win. Yes, that is very bold, my friend. I fuck with it. You just you've seen the teams tonight. The game three in their home court. Each one of them came out. And that's important. Honestly, they have to set the tempo. This cannot be a game where they're trailing by 10, 12, 13 points the whole way and try to make a push. They have to be the ones that are the, the, the pace setters. Um, they've got to be the ones leading the pack. I, I hope I'm right. Um, but regardless, I'm just I'm, I'm ready for a, a playoff atmosphere like you get a handful of these a year. So cherish it. Any final final thoughts, Age, or are we wrapping this baby up? I think we're wrapping the, this. is We're at an hour, man. I mean, normally these playoff previews, the last few that we've had and last year have been very short, but we talked about your favorite moments in Blazers' past, in the, and we went off on rants about Myers Leonard that were seemingly positive, which... I'm ready to wrap this up. All right. Uh, you heard it there from from my guy, Sage. If you like what you're hearing on this podcast, please subscribe. Uh, give us that five-star rating on iTunes. You can also catch our podcast on Stitcher, SoundCloud, and Google Play at Holy Backboard PDX. 
Uh, we're also on social, so interact with us there, especially on Twitter, at Holy Backboard. Catch us on Insta and Facebook as well. Sage, it is 11.10 on a Thursday night. It is Friday Eve. So happy Friday Eve, my friend. Happy 420 uh, to everyone who indulges. Let's go out there and let's shock the world. Let's get a victory and let's feel good about ourselves for, for 24 or 48 hours because I think as Blazer fans, we all deserve that. So whether you're at the game, you're at home, you're watching with some buddies, cheer loud, cheer proud, and as always, let's get it done. Let's go, Blazers. Wherever you may be, this is Bill Shinley. Good night, everybody. Let's go!